Um, I have done more matrix multiplying than you. Um, uh, that does not, <laughs> does not make you always? a machine learner. <laughs> Last time it was the blenders. This time I mentioned matrix multiply. Bryce's response, Connor, I just like you to know that I have done more matrix multiplication than you have in your lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to ADSP, the podcast, episode 62, recorded on January 8th, 2022. My name is Connor, and today with my co-host Bryce, we continue and finish part two of our 2021 retro. Yeah, well, we haven't, we've done my 2021 retrospective. What about your 2021 retrospective? Mine is, mine's mostly outside of work. So my, my work highlight, I worked on a really big project on the Rapids ecosystem called basically Decimal 128. I'm not going to go into the details, but it's it's like fixed point uh, arithmetic, and it was a pretty big deal because there was compiler work that was done in order to support the 128. <laughs> and a, and a bunch of work, a bunch of work that uh, ended up that my team ended up having to do. Uh, yep, to yep. Make, thanks. Uh, 128 bit integers work. So thanks, uh, thanks to Wesley on my team for making that happen. Yeah, there was compiler folks. There was sort of on the standard library side a bunch of stuff. So yeah, that was an awesome project. But my top three, starting number three, uh, there was a trip I took in August. Uh, that was in, went to both Vancouver and then also to Winnipeg, I believe, to visit some friends and then family. That was the first time I'd been on a plane in over a year and a half, and more importantly, the first time I'd seen fam- my family. So that was a big deal. Yeah, obviously because of the pandemic. I basically didn't want to hop on a plane until I had my vaccines. Anyway, so that was awesome. Number two, what did I write down? Oh, yeah, both the podcasts and my book meetup. Uh, we finished category theory for programmers. Like this is like podcasting is like my substitute for conferences because you don't get. I was just at like the the Denver C plus plus meetup a couple days ago. Virtually, he was yeah. not at person at the Denver C plus plus meetup. <laughs> yeah, virtually, and um, yeah, man, I just it's it's a very privileged statement, but I just I miss I miss the conferences so much. Yeah, like me too. You, you don't get to see like my my like socializing like my my most happy favorite socializing is like at those conferences. Well, you know, it's one of the things that I realized a few months into the pandemic is, and a, a, a couple months into the pandemic, this was something that like I thought was a fear. It was a, it was a, or it was something that was a fear of mine, but that I now have re- recognized that like it is, you know, reality. And, and it was like, I, I, I had this thought of like, Oh, Wow. 10 or 20 years from now, are we going to look back at the, at the, you know, 2011 to 2019 as this like golden age of tech conferences and this golden age of C++ conferences and that things never really went back to the way they were. And I'm now fairly convinced that that's, that that's the case. So like, you know, like you and I, it sort of like peaked in 2019, you know, you and I both went <laughs> where I went to the, that was my first conference. So I basically yeah. got the tail end of the golden age. Well, uh, well, like you remember like November, 2019, I went for like four weeks. I went yeah. to like, no, it was like six weeks. I went to a committee meeting and then Belfast. Yeah. yeah it was the Belfast committee meeting. Then there was ACCU Belfast and then there was yeah. also C plus plus Russia, and then there was meeting C plus plus, and then I fl- and then like 
like halfway through the trip, I had to like rebook to fly to supercomputing because one of my VPs was like, you need to go to supercomputing. Um, and so I had just like five or six weeks of back-to-back conferences. Um, and it was just, in, in, in like that, that summer too, I was in Prague and then like Paris and then uh, we were in Germany for the committee meeting. Um, yeah. And like earlier in that year, there was a ton of travel too. And like there was, CP- it was just like that, that fall, I spent like eight weeks at conferences um, and then like COVID hit and then, uh, you know, yeah. it was all over. And I just like, I, I, I doubt that I'll, I'm sure I'll go to conferences again in the future. I, I sort of doubt that there will ever again be a situation where we'll have, you know, six or eight weeks of conferences back to back like that. Yeah. And that's the thing is that I completely agree. There was a, a talk given at strange loop 2021 in October. I believe her name was Krista. Actually, let me get her name because it's in a spreadsheet that's right here. Krista Lopes. Christina Lopes, although she goes by Krista Lopes. Wait, wait. When you say spreadsheet, is it the spreadsheet? Yes. Portfolio of words on the uh, <laughs> videos tab. I watched that talk on uh, December 30th, 2021. And yeah, she gave a talk. It was a keynote actually called The Future of Conferences. And it's a fantastic, it sounds like, oh, that, that's not going to be very exciting. It was one of my, it's a very good talk. And talks about how there's trade-offs in that it increases the accessibility, reduces the, you know, carbon footprint if, you know, things are happening virtually, but there's also a ton of pros to, you know, having them in person. And so I I do think there still will be in-person conferences that are awesome, but yeah, it's, it's never going to go back to the way it was, I don't think. Um, And that's the thing is I, I say it's like, it's my, it's the, the best socializing or my favorite socializing, but like, it's, it's more than that. Like you, the intellectual growth or like the ideas that you come away with. And like, that's the thing is this, you know, the Denver C++ meetup, it was great. We did this live code review, but then there were sort of two hours of casually casual chatting. Inevitably, it was like 80 minutes of that 120 minutes was just talking about people that know people that got the virus and COVID. And it's like, it's not really technical in nature. Not that, not that the conversation has to be technical, but like when you're at C++ now, like, 80% of what you're talking about is just like you're nerding out on nerd stuff. You're not talking about, you know, oh, I just got the virus or I'm going to get my booster vaccine. And so it's it's both socializing, but like I, I learned so much every single time I was at some conference. And also too, like giving a talk, you always get a bunch of people afterwards that come up and are excited and want to talk about like, that doesn't happen as much at virtual conferences. Yeah, I mean, there's there's an atmosphere and a chemistry to, to, to you know, in-person versus you know, um, virtual. Um, I, I think like, like, I think it is a reality that there's like a loss of chemistry when things are, you know, solely virtual. And I yeah. don't think that that's something that you can ever really fully replace. We'll um, see. We'll see with the, uh, you know, ready player one, two, three, four haptic suits. Uh, not that I want a haptic look, suit look, to go as, to a conference. As, uh, as good as the metaverse is for, uh, our stock price. Mm-mm, um, mm-mm. <laughs> Omniverse, not the metaverse. Uh, so, sorry, Omniverse. Sorry, I'm, 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 I'm very sorry, Jensen. I'm very sorry, Jensen. <laughs> um, we were first. We were first. We were first. I mean, um, metaverse isn't that from like the snow, snow capture I don't piercer? Know where they got it from. But anyways, as 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 good as as good as Omniverse has been for for the company stock price, um, uh, you know, I think it's it's one of those technologies that um, that is important and foundational and will be transformative, but 
because it's important in transf transformational, um, uh, it will be overhyped. Um, like I, I saw the thing about like, you know, the Walmart, like VR, like shopping experience. Um, it's like the whole, the whole idea of like, um, uh, of like grocery delivery is that like, you don't have to walk through the store to like pick out the groceries. Like you're paying a premium to just like, you know, like have a better shopping experience than like walking through an actual storefront and like find things. Um, and so like, that's just clearly like a wrong use of the technology. <laughs> I, I, I do think that like Omniverse is actually very cool. Um, what one of my NVIDIA colleagues who's, who's in the city works on, on Omniverse and him and I have chatted about it a couple of times and I'm always very impressed with him. Um, if you go and look at some of Jensen's GTC keynotes or some of the talks about Omniverse before, you know, Facebook made its, its like metaverse announcement. So like, if you go look at like some of the talks from like 2019, like early 2020, um, I think that really gets to, um, it, that really does a good job of showcasing some of the, the use cases that um, can be really transformative. Um, like what, one of the things that I always thought was very clever was this idea that, uh, you know, if you look at like the self-driving car problem, um, to get the amount of data that you would need to, um, to really, like train um, uh, uh, self-driving car software sufficiently to be, um, you know, road safe, you would need like orders of magnitude more hours on the actual road than you have today. Um, and so like, it, it may just like not be practical to go and like gather that data, just like driving around on the road. Um, and so, you know, one of the ideas of the Omniverse is, okay, well, what if we built a simulation environment where we could, um, uh, you know, simulate the real world and then train the neural nets in that simulated environment? And not just for self-driving cars. Like, the, the, I think the actual use case that was shown in one of the keynotes was doing this for robotics um, of, like, you know, tra training the robots in this virtual um, simulated uh, reality. And, and that's just like, when I saw that, that's really when it clicked for me. Um, uh, and I just like, you know, I saw that and I was like, wow, this is really cool. Um, and I think it has a ton of potential. And one of the reasons is that, you know, before I worked at NVIDIA, um, one of the, the things I did was computational science, um, which is more or less the, the same idea. Um, you know, I worked on, uh, doing these uh, simulations of white dwarf mergers. Um, and one of the reasons why we want to do those simulations is like we want to understand, we want to get more data than we can possibly get today because um, there are these very rare events that happen very, very far away. Um, and so one of the things that like we do with these simulations is we, we want to run these simulations um, and uh, with, with our understanding of how the physics of them work and then compare the simulated results to like actual observational results to make sure that the simulation actually reflects reality. Um, and that's sort of, you know, that, that, that's become the basis of a ton of science today. Um, I, I think that you could argue in some ways that, um, that 
a lot of HPC is in some ways some form of the omniverse. Now, the, the big difference with something like omniverse is that, you know, it's visual. Um, uh, you know, for something like, you know, training um, self-driving cars or a robot that needs to see things, you need an actual visual um, real-time environment. Yeah, I'll try and find um, a couple of the videos that show the robot simulation training because, yeah, it's there's a couple ones. There's one, like a golf one. There's like a mini robot and sort of a factory thing and yeah it's it's very uh mind opening watching it and being like oh yeah that's a thing yeah you know it, it's it's funny with, with things like machine learning and omniverse um in data science um you know like i think i feel like oftentimes some of us who are working in or adjacent to those fields because there's so much hype around it um we sometimes um, we sometimes have like a pessimistic outlook. It's like, oh, it's like, you know, everybody's excited about machine learning. Everybody thinks that machine learning is going to solve all their problems. Every company's got, you know, uh, a data science and a machine learning uh, division now. Um, and, you know, it's a gold rush and, and you know, everybody's overhyped. But like every now and then you, you get reminded of the fact that like the reason that these things are overhyped is because they are actually amazing transformational technologies um which are having a huge impact on the world yeah yeah it's it's you say that and it makes me think about the fact that technically rapid sits under the ai infra so ai infrastructure and um technically i could go around saying that yeah i work on artificial intelligence infrastructure um (laughs) which is like it's not false but i just i never say that like when people ask me what i do i just you know say i work work on the c plus plus back end for uh GPU accelerated Python library, because I just feel like such a, like saying that I work on AI infrastructure. Like I know that there's an equivalent team at Facebook and they have, they have jackets that say AI infra on them, like, you know, uh, Patagonia jackets. And I just like, I just can't do it because, um, I just like, I know that the semantic attachment that people have to AI, it's like, you know, the Hollywood movies and, and stuff. And I'm just like, it's not that sexy what I do. Like, it's awesome. It's really cool, but it's not, it's well, not I think what one people of the, think. One of the reasons is that to some degree, um, the, the AI, or I really prefer to just say machine learning because I, I think AI is much more of a public facing term. Um, uh, like AI is a very broad field. Um, and uh, oh, the majority of the AI that we're doing today is machine learning. Um, uh, so, you know, I, 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 like, I like, you know, often say to like people like, you know, I know nothing about ML, which is not entirely untrue. Um, uh, and like, I certainly wouldn't like say that like I work on like, you know, core infrastructure for ML and AI, although that is kind of like true. But I think one of the reasons that there's perhaps some um, hesitance there is that it is true that the ML gold rush has, um, I'm thinking about how to say this nicely, has, (laughs) the, the ML gold rush has shifted priorities in ways that have left certain, um, uh, certain domains of computational science and software engineering uh, feeling like they've sort of been abandoned at the prom for another another date. 
um, you know, like traditional HPC, um, traditional compute has sort of taken a backseat to the needs of ML and, and uh, DL over the past few years. Um, and so certainly from like the HPC perspective, you know, a lot of the hardware innovation that gets done uh, has been around accelerating um, uh, ML. Now we, we've, a lot of that hardware acceleration can be leveraged by HPC and a lot of traditional HPC is starting to use machine learning um, techniques. Um, but I think it's a little bit natural for there to be some reaction of like, ah, oh, that's like, like all that's nonsense and it's just shifting priorities away from like the real, you know, the real science or the real thing that we're doing. Um, but I, I will say I, I, I am I am always proud to say that I um, uh, you know that I work on enabling data science um, uh, uh, you know frameworks because um, I don't know so, something about data science feels more uh, noble to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's uh, it is weird to think. What well, didn't Jensen wasn't he man of the year or time time of the year person or whatever person of the year. Um, um, and like it, the whole profile was uh, the you know Nvidia is the company leading the AI whatever frontier yeah something something so, like that so so to me one of the reasons why like I I like I'm I'm happy to say that I I work with people that build data science frameworks um uh and like <laughs> have this like gut reaction that data science is m more noble is that um. I think a lot of people pick up ML and think, or like a lot of people in a lot of organizations have picked up ML and have like sort of treated it as like a hammer. Um, like, oh yeah, we'll just like, we'll just throw some machine learning into like our thing and it'll be great. Um, and the reality is that like not everybody necessarily has the amount of data um, to, to, to like, you know, to do that. And to like really yeah. If it fits in a spreadsheet, guess what? It's not big data. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, but, you know, data science is really just this field, like data science is just like the field of using like techniques and algorithms and, and uh, systems to get insights out of data, you know, potentially noisy data. Um, so like, it's not necessarily you know, using machine learning. It's just like, we have data, like, you know, how do we extract knowledge out of that data? Um, and that to me, like, like that's the sort of hammer that I think is one that almost anybody can pick up and get something useful out of. Um, like if you have data, um, you know, almost any quantity of data, um, yeah, you can probably use data science to learn something from that data. Yeah. All right. Well, we just went on a huge, we went from <laughs> podcasts and my meetup is number two to I miss conferences to Omniverse to we work at NVIDIA and we know AI, except we don't. But yeah, um. <laughs> we, do, we do kind of know data science. Uh, we know people that know stuff. Yeah, we, do, we know we do know people that know stuff. Yeah. Mostly we I just use know. thrust parallel algorithms. And yeah, we also don't know graphics like like. The group of like engine, like all of the NVIDIA C++ people with a couple exceptions, most of the NVIDIA C++ people don't know graphics and don't really know machine learning, which is funny because like if you meet if like those are the two things that NVIDIA is kind of known for. 
I do. I mean, I don't. I don't know machine learning, but I did do a lot of matrix multiplication when I was studying to be an actuary. So I hear that's like eighty percent of it. So um, I have done more matrix multiplying than you. Um, uh, that does not. <laughs> Why does not is make this you always a machine <laughs> Last time it was the blenders. This time I mentioned matrix multiply. Bryce's response, Connor. I just like you to know that I have done more matrix multiplication than you have in your lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, i have written optimized matrix multiplication al- algorithms i feel like why are you saying you don't know machine learning then that's like i've heard that's like basically all it is no, no like that's that's linear algebra that's a different field like m- machine learning is like a specific field of like of like applying these techniques i think i probably took in in my undergrad my 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 math education at LSU, the department was very, um, uh, very theory focused, or at least the program I was in was very theory focused, although it was, it was called applied math. Um, but it was very focused on, um, uh, like graph theory. Um, it was not, not really a very computational program, which is actually why I liked it. I think I've said this on the podcast before. I did not get a computer science degree. Um, because, uh, I, at the time I knew I was a little shit, um, and like a little arrogant shit. And I thought that I, I thought that if I was going to be in a computer science degree, I would think that I was smarter than my professors and I would clash with them and then I would be miserable. Um, and also I hated school. And so I figured like if the thing that I loved, which is programming and computer science and software engineering, if that was like what I had to like study in school, that I was just going to be miserable and it would make me hate those things. So that's why I ended up getting a math degree and I like intentionally picked the, the math course, the math course and the math degree program at LSU that was like the least, um, it wasn't the least computational, but it was like the second least computational, um, which was the applied math program. Um, uh, it was like the one where you did not have to take any CS courses. Um, mm. like I intentionally picked that one. Um, uh, and uh, I, I don't know that we ever took any machine learning or neural net uh, uh, courses at the time, because that, that was like 2011, 2014. And, you know, it wasn't as prominent as it is now. We did, there was definitely a lot of like applicable graph theory um, that I learned that was, you know, applicable to uh, uh, machine learning techniques that are used today. Although most of that knowledge has... Um, drained out of my head. There are still like a handful of like graph proofs that I had to like learn for like some test that I'm fairly certain that if under pressure um, and like presented with like the need to produce these proofs, I could probably like crank out like one of these like three page ridiculous proofs. (laughs) Sounds like a challenge. Yeah. I also got, I, 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 you know, it's funny because I was I was somebody that was in you know HBC, but um, I I barely survived my like partial differential equations coursework, um, like that like um, uh, differential equations and calculus never came naturally to me. Um, like graph theory, you know, like did graph theory and like discrete math, um, like that was all like very natural to me. Uh, but like the calculus, nope, 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 nope. Yeah. I mean, calculus, calculus one and two um, was fine. But as soon as it hit multivariate in three, I just, yeah. I, ha- I hated the word problems 
Um, and I used to love word problems, but I just remember there would be like some cone and water and water leaving at a certain rate and water being poured into the cone. Huh. And, that and there was even my, my problem. My problem was that like, like once you get to like, once you get to like partial differential equations, like you, to like solve these problems, like you just had to have an intuition about like how to do it. Like literally my professors would tell me that, like you just have to have the right intuition about like how to approach this. Um, and like, I don't know, I just lacked that intuition. Yeah, I never took PDE or ODE, so. Yeah. I still have, like I have right here on this shelf, like my, uh, these actually aren't even my, my coursework PDE books. These were like the graduate level PDE books that I had to pick up to like learn how to do my job. Um, like to like learn like to to learn the like the, as the one does that, that I needed to um to do the computational astrophysics and other stuff that I uh, that I was doing. All right. Well, enough enough with uh, boring our listeners with or boring the listener. Sorry, uh, uh, with our mathematics. Um, uh, not even successes. It sounds like we both struggle towards the end. Um. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, like I think it's a good thing for people to know. Um, like, you know, like I, I, um, I think, I think I'm good at math. I actually think that I'm strong. My, my, like, um, uh, my verbal and my like communication skills are stronger. Um, like I remember when I, when I took the SATs, which are like the, the college like entrance exams in, in the U S um, I got like, like the, the math section was like always like hard for me, which was weird because like, I was like a science kid. You know, like, like, like my parents were like convinced I was going to like get, get a STEM degree and whatnot. Like that was always what interested me. Um, but like the math, like, um, just because I liked science doesn't mean, didn't mean I was good at math, which you need to be to like go far in science. But like the math section I struggled with, I ended up doing pretty good, but the like verbal section of the like SATs, like I didn't have to study for, and I got like a perfect score. Um, wow. Like, we're, just, we're like opposites. Uh. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like, it, like people don't expect that from like me. Um, when they meet me, they're like, "Oh, like you're a software engineer. You have a math degree. Like, you know, writing can't be your strong suit." But like, the reality is, like, writing and communicating, um, like that is like just natural to me. Whereas math is something that I had to struggle with. And to some degree, that's why I chose to get a math degree. Um, you know. Part of it was that sort of like reason, like I didn't want to like, I didn't want to um, get a CS degree because I thought I would argue with my professors and because I I never enjoyed school and I enjoyed programming and I didn't want to like combine, I didn't want to come to hate programming through studying it in a school. But like the other reason was like, I I thought about like, you know, I know how to program right now. I don't think I need to go to school to learn that. But the thing that I don't know is math. Um, And so I'm going to go to get a degree in math to hopefully, you know, learn more about it. So it, I guess that's maybe not something that a lot of people think to do that. Like a lot of people think like, I'm going to go to college in the field that I'm good at. I consciously chose to get a degree in the field that I'm bad at so that I could learn more about it. This is actually, man, it's, we, we have these back and forths on, uh, how similar we are except for furnishing our apartments, which is where we really differ. But it's actually, that's crazy that we've talked about university quite a bit on this podcast or like our past experiences, but I basically had the exact same decision. Like, so I, I always had a whatever predisposition towards math, but at at one point in my third semester, I had taken two computer science courses, the two intro ones. And because they had projects with bonus marks and stuff, I got a hundred percent 
above 100% um, in both of those classes, and I loved it. And I, I was already working towards the actuarial math, and so I had a choice. And at the time, I, and I consider this a mistake, at the time I didn't know that like computer science, I didn't know anything about software engineering and Google and stuff, and that it was like a you know, growing industry. My view was just that like, oh, computer science is this super fun thing. I love coding in Python. But I decided to continue with the actuarial math thing because I figured I was going to get bored with computer science because it was just so easy. At least, I mean, it, that was a naive, ignorant view because uh, I didn't know, you know, that it's going to get harder at the 200, 300, 400 level. I just figured it was, I was going to continue to be able to do well. Whereas I knew actuarial math, even though I'm good at math, it, it was an extremely competitive and difficult, like the, the introductory actuarial course that you have to take in order to get into the program. I think I got like a B minus or a C plus and, and uh, it was a very, very, actually, no, I got, I got higher than a C plus cause you needed a certain minimum grade, but like I had studied harder for that course than any other course up to that point in university and, and done very, very poorly. And that the course had like a 50% dropout rate. Like, so the point being is I was like, oh, I'll, I'll do this. It'll be more challenging in hindsight. I think it was a mistake, but it's just interesting that we both made the same decision to try something that was more challenging. Uh, I don't, I actually, I'm going to argue that I don't think that it was a mistake, Connor. And, and I mean, you know, I I think this is probably not applicable to every field. Um, There's probably other fields outside of tech, you know, maybe even in tech where you really do need to have, you know, a degree in a particular field to get a job in that field. Um, But, um, you know, in tech, like, you know, you don't need to have a particular degree type to, to get, uh, to become a software engineer. Um, you know, that's, that's not true for like civil engineering. If you want to become like a civil engineer, you, you need to go get like a civil engineering degree. Um, uh, and like, like ditto for like other, like, you know, if you want to be an accountant or a lawyer, like you need to go to law school, you need to, um, get an accountant, accounting degree. Um, but, um, like, I, I think that, if you're planning on going into a field or even if like you don't know what field you're going into, I think that there is something to be said for um, seeking uh, seeking out the, the, the courses and the education and the, and the degree program that does not come naturally to you and that challenges you, um, but that is like something that you think that you'll need in your career. Um, so like, you know, like, I think that it probably has helped you more than you think about it because I think that those like actuarial skills that you have, um, they give you um, this this background in like math and statistics and um, and to some degree like data science that um, sort of like make you like unique as a software engineer um, and and give you like a unique perspective. Um, on things. So like, I, I think, I think that you, I think that you would not have as diverse a skill set if you had switched programs. I think you're definitely correct to an extent. And I agree that like my, like I consider myself a statistician cause I took so many stats courses and, you know, I, actuarial math, you have to memorize all these distributions, Bernoulli, binomial, whatever Wable, etc. Or you don't have to memorize them, but you need to know how to use them. And so I learned a, a ton. But like my the one regret is that like taking that path, I spent 
and this is not an exaggeration, thousands of hours studying for actuarial exams because yeah. there's eight of them. You know, you fail some of them sometimes. Uh, I failed, I think, three, four, maybe five. And each time you have to study, you know, four or 500 hours. I spent so much time spinning my wheels on these exams and they're terribly designed exams. They're not focused on like, you know, how much you comprehend. They give you 2000 pages of material and then they only test 10% of it. Um, so it's just like, it's luck of the draw half the time. And, uh, I just think that there was like, there was a number of years that I was working towards something that like, as soon as I finished it, I switched. Although I will say, out of that, arguably one of the most valuable things that I got was like an insane work ethic, or I shouldn't use the word insane, just like a very, very, my, 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 it's the knowledge that like I can work 40 hours a week or 50 hours a week. And then on top of that, also study another 30 or 40 hours. And like, like back when I studied, I used to wake up at like 6am and I would track 15 minute intervals, like a consultant and like down to like showering, eating, exercise, like everything had a category in order to maximize like how much time I was studying. Um, so anyways, you're not wrong, but uh, there's a few thousand hours I could get back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, yeah. Uh, if uh, I wasn't, if I wasn't doing that. All right. We got to wrap the we're, we're I think we're past the hour mark on episode 61. I have no idea how I'm going to cut this up and I haven't <laughs> even gotten to the number one thing of 2021, which very quickly, and we're deferring 2022 outlook to another episode because we've run out of time is uh, my running. Running was definitely the highlight of the, what was probably, I'd say 2021 was the worst year of my life. It's the first. Why was the worst year of your life? Well, I mean, you, you, I mean, you know. Okay, yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah. There's a a lot of stuff happened. Plus two, 2021 was the first year in I don't know how many years that I haven't left the country. The last time, Yeah. February 2020 was the last time I went to a different country. I was in New York. I'm, tr- I'm um, trying to get Strava to tell me how many miles or how many kilometers I biked. Um, oh, yeah. Have I, you, I, I, have you it, biked more than I have run? That is the question. Um, uh, well, so so the problem is it has year to date, which is not applicable for last year. And it has um, all time. Um, uh, so I don't know whether I can actually get out the information that I would want. Um, and I haven't really biked since like October cause it got cold. Um, but I started biking in like November, 2020 or I, 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 I biked when I was at LSU and I, then like I took like a two or three year when I moved to California, I like stopped biking for three or four years. Um, and then I started again in like late 2020, um, uh, I think it, R- Ryan, if you're listening, you're like you and I like went on a bike ride together like in like November 2020, and that was like what motivated me to get back into biking. So you you get credit for that. But um, but since then, uh, Strava says I've ridden uh, 4,156 kilometers. Um, which this is, pretty is good. this is from when to when? This is from uh, November. 2020 to now oh damn so it depends how much did you bike in november and december of 2020 i don't think it was like that much um i think it was maybe um hang on we'll we'll, we'll see if i can find that the numbers are going to be super close 
but this 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 does not count because um, this does not count everything um, uh, because when I spin in, indoors, um, uh, that's not counted here, which is all that I've been doing recently. Um, Okay, so you've definitely biked more than I was going to say. My my 2021 stats are I ran 3,890 kilometers. Wow. That, that, okay, that makes me feel bad, though, because I, I should have done a lot more, a lot more. Yeah. You still beat me. You still beat me. Anyways, 2022, episode how, wait, 62. How much, how, much are you, how much are you running a day normally? Uh, it depends. I mean, my, I think, I think my, my best month was 512 kilometers in August. So um, that works out to like 2018 or something, 17, I don't know, 13. See, I, I, don't, I don't see how that, oh, wait, 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 but do, do you run every single day? Uh, basic, in August, basically, I probably took off one or two days in August. Yeah, okay, so, so I, I do yoga with my mom, uh, uh, or yoga or Pilates with my mom twice a week, and um, my normal bike ride is 25 kilometers, um, uh, and I usually do a 40k once or twice a week, um, but but I I haven't been biking since October um, outside because it's been cold, and I definitely had some periods where I was not biking. Well, you know, towards the start of the year, I wasn't. I was biking like 18 kilometers. It was. I only started doing like 25k a day, and I only started doing 40ks like in the spring. So probably like like probably next year my I will probably bike a lot more than uh, than you. I'll have to figure out a way to to get the data for how long for for my um my biking uh, my 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 spin uh, bike which I'm gonna count towards my my kilometers. Yeah, well we'll see if we can do a contest. We'll see who uh, who if if you bike more I, than I, I run. feel I feel like I should probably I feel like. Probably should be, you know, like two, two times for like, if it's like, like about the, the right, the same amount of exercise, I should probably be aiming to bike like twice the distance that you're running. Okay. We can do that. We can have a bet. We can, like how, uh, we can, like what, what, how fast do you run normally? It depends. So when I'm like yesterday I went for, uh, it was yesterday was, well, let's figure out it was minus eight, but felt like minus 16. Minus 16 Celsius in Fahrenheit, which for all of you Americans was three degrees Fahrenheit. Oh my! Um, Good Lord. <laughs> so wow. it was very, it was very cold. I thought it was cold here because there's snow on the ground and it is, um, it is 26 degrees, which is cold. So yeah, it was very cold, and I went for a 23k run, and I ran at a um, 4:45, so four minutes and 45 seconds per kilometer so if we change that to miles pace it's like seven and a half minutes per mile mm-hmm. which is like that's like a it's not fast but it's also not slow it's just like a decent pace yeah anyways we'll wrap up 2021 2022 it's going to be a better year for sure hopefully we'll have in-person conferences hopefully bryce and i We'll be able to see each other in oh, person yeah. I'm, at some I'm point. I'm certain that'll happen. Not so certain about in-person conferences. And I mean, you know, C plus plus twenty three is going to be finalized this year, which I think is going to be very exciting. Um, uh, and um, I think you and I both have some exciting. So very, there's various different exciting work projects that 
we've got yep. going on. That I'm we'll 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 to. preview what we can preview in in the yeah. next episode of uh, 2022, and then also we got to have Dave Abraham's back on to finish up the rest of his story, and we got to have uh, Sean Parent back on. Uh, yeah, this talk... and like I think we gotta we gotta expand our guest yeah. repertoire. Well, so um, that that's actually that's actually my last thing was we mentioned CPP North, we talked about BQN, and my last note is bringing on other PL people. So I think, because we're on our quest to become number one in Slovenia, and in order to grow the podcast, I think what we need to do is start bringing, you know, someone, we technically already had Dave Abrahams from Swift, but like bring on, let's bring on uh, someone from Rust, someone from Go. We can even go to JavaScript and Scala and, and Ruby. We should bring, we should bring on, um, we should bring on Andre, um, of course, at some point. Um, Alexandrescu? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's um, one of the creators of D, and he's just like he's he's just an amazing and charismatic storyteller. Oh yeah, we'd have um, a good time with him. And we should also bring on Bartush. Um, Maluski? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that'd be awesome. Why why um, do you want to bring on Bartosh? Same thing. Just like 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 I think he has the same quality of like Sean and Andre. That like he's gonna have he's gonna be he's a great storyteller. He's just he's just a great storyteller. And then well wait so wait what. There was like four of them that made up like the the Northwest C plus plus user group. Like who was who was the other horseman? Um, I I I. So for those of you that don't know what the heck Bryce is talking about, in my better algorithm intuition talk that I first gave back in 2019 <laughs> on that little European tour that we we both went on, although admittedly yours was a lot longer than mine, I I I had talked to Eric Niebler about sort of his history, and he talked about this era where they were in the Pacific Northwest C++ uh, user group in Seattle, or maybe it was just outside Seattle. And um, he, so himself, Eric, uh, and then three other people would always, you know, after these C++ meetups, they'd go up and uh, they'd go out and, you know, have a couple drinks and sometimes meet together on the weekends. And uh, the four of them would always talk about like functional programming and all this awesome, you know, category theory stuff. And then they all sort of went in different directions. So those four people were Eric Niebler, Bartosz Maluski, who went and did category theory for programmers, and then uh, Andre Alexandrescu. And the fourth one is Walter Bright, who is the main creator of the D language. And so basically, Walter and Andre went and did D. Eric went and did C++ ranges. And then Bartosz went and did, you know, category theory and functional programming. And um, yeah, we could potentially get them all on at the same time. Yeah, that might be that a bit would, crazy. That would, be, that would be fun. That would be fun. <laughs> and uh, we got have Patricia and uh, uh, Chandler back at some point. There's a lot. To, well, we, we obviously at some point we're gonna have Titus on this podcast. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Like I don't know that Titus, whether Titus knows this yet, but at some point, at some point we're gonna have, yeah. we're gonna have Titus. We on. also have to have Allison. We got to do the the thrust. We got to have Allison on. Yeah. And. Um, Although I've since I've since discovered um, that the that the thrust CUDA backend has an optimized partition um, path and uh, it's pretty clever. I haven't fully figured out how it works yet. And also, I think I think I've determined that it, you need to have it done at least two. Well, no, I know I, you can't do it in one pass, but it's. Uh, <laughs> let's save it. Let's save it for the future episode where we we have a dedicated yeah, yeah, time yeah. to talk about this. Um, anyways, lots of guests. Yep. Happy twenty, happy New Year! Happy New Year, to everybody! <laughs> and we will, we will preview twenty twenty two next time. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed, and have a great day.